Hello, 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 and welcome to the first taste reading series on the Day Beautiful podcast feed. I'm Adam Fitcavage, and on this version of the podcast, I invite a writer to read from their debut book so readers can get a first taste of exactly what they're in for. If you like what you hear here, check us out on daybeautiful.net and on all social media at daybeautiful. Today's guest is a South African author and artist. Her writing has appeared in the New York Times, McSweeney's Quarterly, HuffPost, Oh, the Oprah Magazine, the Sunday Times, Marie Claire, and elsewhere. Her first novel, Onion Tears, was shortlisted for the Penguin Prize for African Writing and the University of Johannesburg Debut Fiction Prize. Her essay collection, How I Accidentally Became a Stock Photo, was published in South Africa and India. And now, her U.S. debut, The Gin Waits for a Hundred Years, is out now. Please welcome Shabnam Khan. Hey, Shabnam. How you doing today? I am doing great. It's really hot here. And if you hear birds in the background, that is just because Durban is a very noisy place. So um, <laughs> I'm just warning you in advance. But I, I'm doing great. Thank you. Of course. And I'm so happy that uh, you're going to read for us today your book, the Gin Waits 100 Years is out now. Readers can get it all over America. Is it published in other countries currently? Or are, what? what is the plan for publication? Um, it is pub- it's came out at the same time in South Africa. Cool. And it will be out next month in the UK. And it, I know there's plans for Italy, but I'm not sure when. Good. So everyone all over the world will eventually be able to read The Gin Waits 100 Years. Uh, tell readers a little bit about what the book is from your perspective. Um, so the novel is about a young girl who moves to a forgotten mansion on the East Coast of South Africa. And um, it's a it's a grand estate that's now a dilapidated building. And it's a place where people go to forget or be forgotten. Except Sana is not that person who wants to be forgotten. She's a young girl, so she's curious. And she's curious about all the eccentric characters who live in this house. And she starts finding out their stories. But as she discovers more about the house, she realizes that there's a locked room in the East Wing. And that she uncovers that there's a tragedy that happened almost 100 years ago in this house. And um, behind that door is a grieving Jin who is grieving what happened almost a hundred years ago and Sana starts finding out what happened through diaries that she finds from the second wife of the owner of the house who tells her story of coming to live in this house and um, it's really a story that uh, spans decades it's about ghosts and it's about how people can be haunted as much if not more than places um, but it, at its heart it's really a story about the fate of those loved things forgotten. Yeah, it was super moving and touching. I I love a good ghost story. Um and to to see the Jin story unfold and, and this young girl's story unfold simultaneously was so breathtaking. Um so thank you for writing it. What section, what excerpt will you be reading for our listeners today? So I thought we would just get into the juice and the bones of it. And um I'm reading a section from the middle of the book where we, um, the main character, Akbar, has two wives and his two children from his first wife decide that they are going to take revenge on um, for their mother and uh, they decide to do something with the baby of the second wife. And so 
Um, that's the section I'm going to read. And um, also just quickly, the the boy's name is Ladu and the girl's name is Sareya Bibi. And the second wife's name is Mina Begum. Terrific. Well, take it away. Thank you so much. Who lies in the darkness under the bed as still as a cockroach and watches the night frill edge of the, of the witch's room? She isn't what he expects of a witch. She doesn't have hands like claws and a mouth full of sharp teeth. She has a soft voice and she speaks kindly to him. But his sister says it's all an act, that she just pretends to be nice, that she wears a mask made of the skin of children to cover her true face, a face that is more gruesome than he can imagine. His sister says that she is just waiting for the right moment to attack them and eat them like succulent pieces of chicken. She will chew on our bones and spit them out at the first opportunity, Sareya Bibi says. Keep your eyes open, she warns. The witch can attack at any time, especially if you make eye contact. So Ladu is careful to avoid her gaze. If he hears her nearby, he ducks into passages or behind chairs. He keeps his eyes downcast if she speaks to him. He walks away quickly if, she see, if he sees her close. Now he lies under the witch's bed, shivering a little as he sees her come down the ladder with his father. He is under strict instructions from his sister to collect as much information as possible and return quickly to her. Sareya Bibi wants all the details what the witch eats, what she reads, what she does, and where she goes. Ladu watches the witch with his big eyes and tries to remember everything. Later, when he returns to his sister's room, he tells her that the witch sings songs to the baby that sound nice. He tells her that Abba speaks to her in a special way. He tells her that the witch always says thank you and please to the maids. She even cleans her own room. She doesn't seem witch-like, he adds. Sreya Bibi says that she is a very good actress. The nicer she seems, the worse she actually is. It is Ladu who informs her that Mina Begum goes to bathe every morning after she makes the baby sleep. One such morning, the pair steal into her room. They push apart the lace curtains of the crib and Sreya Bibi lifts her four-month-old sleeping brother She's not exactly sure what she's going to do. Everything in the house has changed since the new woman has arrived. Her mother, who normally spends her time doting on her, is now too distracted, too consumed by something to see to her needs. Her father, too, who has always been a little cool with her, is different. He seems lighter, full of life, and she knows it has nothing to do with her, so she resents it. She has the idea that if she can just get rid of the child somehow, then everything will be okay again, that somehow order will be restored in the house. While she carries the baby, she tells Ladu to place one of her china dolls in the crib. It will buy them a little time, she says. Buy them a little time for what? asks Ladu, but she shushes him. When they leave the room and go into the passage with the baby, Ladu, his eyes wide with fear, asks, What are we going to do now? Give me a second, she scowls. She looks around furtively and then motions for him to follow. 
She walks around the upstairs passages and spying the door to her father's library, she quickly enters and shuts the door behind her. She searches around and then on seeing a window ajar, she walks over and looks out to the grounds far below. She glances at the baby in her arms and then at the window. When she picks the bundle up to the ledge and holds it out, Ladu looks at her in shock. But she hesitates, drawing the blanket back towards her and walks further into the library, looking around frantically. She has not thought this through. They dig among boxes and shelves until they reach some trunks that are packed away at the back of the room. They empty a heavy trunk of old volumes and carefully place the sleeping baby inside. They look at the tiny bundle wrapped in his blankets and watches as he breathes. He looks so small, says Ladu. Well, he'll grow up soon enough and then we'll be in for it, replies the rare baby. Where are his horns? What? You said he has horns because he's a devil baby, whispers Ladu. You said witches have devil babies. Oh yes, they're there under his skin. They'll come out soon enough. What will happen to him here? I don't know, okay? I don't have all the answers, replies Saraya Bibi testily. She shuts the lid of the trunk and turns away. When she reaches the entrance of the library, she turns around to find Ladu looking down at the box. What are you still doing there? She hisses as she goes back to him and pulls at his arm. Come on, before someone comes. But where's the tail, he asks as she drags him away. You told me it had a tail. The witch must have cut it off, she says. As she shuts the library door. I want to thank Shabnam for reading from A Jin Waits 100 Years, which is available now. Rush out to your favorite independent bookstore. Check it out on bookshop.org. You can follow Shubnam at shubnamkhan.com and on Twitter and Instagram at shubnamkhan. You can follow Daybeautiful at daybeautiful.net and on all social media at daybeautiful. And as always, I'm Adam. This is Daybeautiful. And you're all beautiful. <laughs>